Hi everyone, it's Olga Zar from SEO Sly. This is SEO podcast by SEO Sly. Today I have a very special guest. This is Pedro Diaz. Pedro, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Olga. Yeah, I'm really honored to have you here. You are, I think, the second ex-Googler on my show. So <laughs> this is a real honor to me. Okay. Pedro, if you can briefly introduce yourself, what you are up to like in a couple of sentences, and then I will probably want to dig deeper into like what you are, how you, what you do in SEO. <laughs> so as you said, unlike many SEOs, I started in SEO uh, from the other side, from search, and I came into SEO. Um, I've run my business, my own business after Google for nine years um, in Brazil. I've been everywhere, like I've been in Brazil, then I moved back into to the to the side of the ocean. So I moved now to UK and I run my own business in the UK together with I consult with companies like eBay and Mercado uh -huh. Libre in South America. Uh, so all big e commerces. Um that's my kind of, you know, uh expertise now nowadays. I've also worked for publishers in the UK. Um, which is a, is a little bit different than in e commerce, but um uh -huh. I've been everywhere. I've been mostly on product side of things rather than the marketing side of SEO. Uh, there's a big battle and uh, which, which, where, where does SEO fit? Um, uh -huh. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm up to nowadays. I consult on my own business and I, you know, and that's mostly it. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. So is it like you are like an independent consultant or do you have like a team of people? Both. <laughs> uh -huh. well, I, I'm an independent consultant, uh, whereas I can consult clients. And I, um, for example, eBay, I'm, I'm working as a contractor for eBay. So I work within a, a whole team of developers, engineers, uh, SEOs. So, yeah. And I kind okay. of also have like people that once in a while kind of can reach out to help me with if I need a hand with something else uh, to consult my clients. Uh -huh, okay. And you are from Portugal, right? Because yes. I thought you were from Brazil for a very yeah. long time. Yeah. And you are based now in the UK? Yes, I'm based okay. in London. Okay, okay, cool. Okay, so let's go back in time to the very beginning. So how did it all started for you that you landed in SEO? What were your beginnings? You probably didn't mm. start with SEO, so what no. was it? <laughs> so, I mean, uh, my, my, my primary formation is in design, web design. Um, and where I studied all these areas like information architecture, accessibility, usability, etc. So this is like something that also was already kind of in me. In, in to some aspect, I I was doing a lot of web design work back in the two thousands because it was like oh. you know, but the boom of the web design. Uh huh. Um, and uh, I saw like um, Google that was recruiting Portuguese people, so they they kind of. Um, and you know, like I never thought I would I had the necessary qualification to go mm -hmm. into Google, but I applied anyway because you know they wanted someone that understood, uh, didn't have, wasn't afraid of looking at HTML and JavaScript and all the web kind of mumbo jumbo, and um, the only requirement is well, speak Portuguese, have a higher degree, and willing to relocate. I said, oh. well, that sounds up my alley. So I kind of, you know, um, applied, said, okay, they're never going to hire me, and they hired me. <laughs> so uh, it, it was like February, March 2006, I went to Ireland. I went to Dublin. I moved to Dublin 
um, as a permanent on a permanent basis and um, I started on Google uh, and it was like the search quality team um, we would uh, the requirements would be like to have a good notion of um, the web <laughs> uh, oh. uh, the Portuguese language market and we would have to kind of you know look at websites and, and kind of you know assess them uh, much like different from quality raters but uh, a bit because this team would apply penalties on websites uh -huh, okay. uh, so uh, quality raters don't do anything they just like so quality raters are the folks that are external to google they don't even come into the office and it's where search quality sends tasks at, at scale that we want to kind of you know um have uh -huh. a sense of. so if uh so back to back to to my experience, um, it, it was mostly like on a spam fighting team. So uh, understanding what are the issues that are most prevalent on s s language markets, um, synchronizing with language markets across Google, um, because there were many people from other language markets and um, tackling the whole thing as a whole, like with a consistent policy, with a consistent approach, uh, because if we decide that you're going to tackle something manually in one country, it doesn't make sense that you let it go in another one. So, uh -huh. um, and you want to see where trends arise or when trends die. So it's very it's very convenient to have a lot of people in one place um, with this expertise doing the same things. Um, so yeah, that's where I kind of started. Then I, uh, end of 2011, um, I, it was because of personal issues like with my ex-wife at the time she wanted to 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 leave ireland <laughs> uh -huh. and i said okay if we are going to leave and i have to leave google and i'm going to search for something else i i tried for a while i waited six months uh, uh in ireland until uh, to see if i could move internally to another team mm -hmm. to switzerland or where john miller is to the webmaster trends analyst but there were no positions open at the time so i decided okay maybe this is sign this is a sign that i that I should go so on something of my own. So there uh -huh. I went. Uh, I already had a lot of invitations from um, ex-Googlers that were in Brazil because, as you can imagine, the Portuguese language market, most of it is the big part of it is, is Brazil. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So um, if you think about, you know, having your image and, and making the most of on the Portuguese language market, you go to Brazil. So that's what I did. I partnered with um, some ex-Googlers that I knew from the Sao Paulo office and some others that worked mm. with me in, in Ireland. And we opened up, uh, we started the business in, in, in Sao Paulo. Um, so mm. then nine years passed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were like, uh, mostly like uh, already like on 70, 80 employees uh, as a business. Oh. Um, but we were mostly like a, a marketing kind of, digital marketing kind of business. Um, we were at the same we were like disputing clients uh accenture and you know uh, young and rubicum and uh mccann and uh, all these kind of big agencies and um after a while i feel like it's a bit of a race to the bottom because um as a digital marketing agency and our in our case we would sell our you know our unique expertise to do for clients what other companies can't do uh, or don't know yeah. how to do um, and at some point big clients like that we were having 
they don't really care about this kind of uh -huh. uh, they don't so most of the clients if you think about scaling a business like this and growing up um you need to stop caring about or it's likely that you need to stop caring to sell to clients about your like your your unique expertise because they are not going to pay more to you as a small company than they would pay to this big multinational company that uh -huh. they are already partnering with. So it was a bit of, you know, not a very, to get together with other things in Brazil, it was not a very kind of fulfilling experience for me. I was growing a bit tired. Um, and at the same time, we started working with McKinsey in Brazil. Um, so they would take us to consult with their own clients, McKinsey clients that would need uh -huh. kind of SEO and digital marketing. They would take our company with them and they would consult to bring our expertise. And I started to get a bit of a taste again of being embedded in other companies as in the product side of things, not so much in the marketing. And so I was like, you know, this is, maybe this is what I want to do now, being like a solo consultant, um, going back, going smaller again, uh, being more focused and integrating product teams uh, help help the SEO problems within the product because uh, the marketing is very volatile and it's very superficial in some aspects of what you can do and what you in, in mm -hmm. my in my case what I wanted to do so yeah there I went like it was in the middle of the pandemic November 2020 and I flew into the UK and like a week later, they closed everything, the flights and everything. So I, kind of, I was like, this just yeah, this time. Just in the nick of time, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I just arrived in London, like in 1st of November, 2020. And yeah, after a while, I kind of, I already came with a with an offer to be the head of SEO for, at the time, Rich, Rich PLC. Mm -hmm. It was the, one of the biggest news publishers in the UK. And I went from there. Uh, after a while, you know, I got an offer from another company, another publisher as well, that didn't went so well because, you know, internal problems and of the company, and you know, I don't want to go on about it, but um, it was it was a bit, it isn't, it was not uh, such such a good experience. And I said, uh -huh. okay, you know what? It, maybe it's a good time for me to think about opening my business here. So I did. Uh -huh. I opened my business, and then eBay came along, and then Mercado Libre came along, and then yeah. And here we are now. Um, okay, up. cool, cool. And it's like every, I think almost every SEO's biggest dream is to work for Google. So can you maybe tell me more about the recruitment process back then? Like, I guess you probably had to go through multiple stages. Like, is there something you can share? Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I went like, I went through like, five or six stages oh. in the interview. Uh, most of them were done from the seat of my car with some papers on my lap. Because um, uh -huh. I was working for an um, advertising agency back then in Lisbon. Um, I was the, not officially the head, but I was, you know, the, the, the I was spearheading their web design uh, department. Um, and at the time, like, um, like I said in the beginning, Google was searching for um, people that spoke Portuguese, had some kind of their um, hands uh, deep in, in in web and web development. They knew what like they they knew about the Portuguese language market, 
uh, well on on the web, and kind of um, that was all. I mean, and the interview process was mostly asking me between questions about you know HTML, JavaScript, uh, web servers, configurations, mm -hmm. um, all of this stuff, and then uh, what was my what was my vision of what the web would become, what Google would become, um, mm -hmm. things like what I think a good website is, what I think a, web, a bad website is, um, and all, all of this like through multiple stakeholders at Google. Uh, so I think I first interviewed with like some people that would be my colleagues directly. Then I interviewed like with um, uh, HR at Google. Then I interviewed uh, with um, people from the United States, uh, from other teams. Um, then I interviewed from the director that would be my director uh, at Google, and then some more kind of ironing out the details uh -huh. and traveling, etc. So all of it, like, it went were a lot of stages. Um, uh, and the funny thing is that these hirings were all done initially as contractors, so everyone would go as a contractor to Google. Uh -huh. We would not go as full-time employees. And then if we kind of fulfilled the criteria, it's like if we met or, you know, ex exceeded their expectations uh, on what we were able to accomplish, then they would uh, turn us into full-time employees. And that's what happened. Like, so in, I went into Google in, I went to Google into March 2006. And in July 2007, I was uh, made a full-time employee. Uh -huh. Um, and then, yeah, I, I went on to the, the team I st after, after like being a full-time employee, I got a bit more mm, insights into, so I would not need to work behind the proxy anymore. For example, I would have access to a lot of things that uh -huh. I wouldn't have before. Um, cause usually, um, contractors would work like behind what they call a proxy. So you don't have access to a lot of internal things. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, after I turn a full-time employee, then you have access to things. You have access then to, of course, things that you need. You don't have access to everything because no, no one at Google has access to everything. But I was um, put a lot into the search quality team. And I, I think it was a lucky for me because I had access to things early on that allowed me to understand a lot of how Google works that by the end of 2011, when I left, um, new employees wouldn't have access anymore because uh -huh. as we started to progress, um, so I entered the team at a very early stage, meaning that the tools that we had to work with were tools that were very bare bones and didn't have sometimes the necessary layers to shield people from accessing uh -huh. So if I didn't have access to the deeper systems, I would not be able to perform my work. Um, so, and then I started to be part of the tools development team. So I started to work for, um, in, in besides fighting spam, I, I started to develop tools to fight spam as well within oh. the team. Um, and my main knowledge being in, you know, web design and kind of, um, design, etc. I did a lot of interface for our tools, uh, interfacing. Yeah. So like, um, you know how the tool would look like and what would functions and all of this, how, how the flow would be. Um, uh, and then I participated mm. in other areas like people would, um, I had the, the chance to 
work with Google News team uh, at some oh. point to kind of uh, help them with some, you know, insights into what Google News kind of would evolve in terms of the projects that they were, they were doing. And I was taken to Mountain View for a while to participate in some projects like this. Um, and yeah, most, most of my time there was fighting spam. Um, then I started to lead efforts on the um, spam fighting uh, for the Portuguese language market. Um, so I was the main person for the Portuguese language market, um, making sometimes decisions that you know, would have to be made in terms of policies or, uh, you know, um, looping with that, uh, make, being part of the decision makers where to go um, when we would need to apply harsher policies or, or, or um, penalties or uh, approach things differently than, or um, how would we tackle something that wasn't in our policy, for example. That was uh -huh. a big like, issue, like, you have a policy written, but once in a while you'll find things that don't fall or are not covered by the policies that you have. And you have to make decisions on that. So I was part of the people that would kind of got together in a room and we would make decisions on how would we would circum mm -hmm. you know, circumvent that or would we escalate it to, to be uh, solved at an um, algorithmic or engineering level or could we tackle it manually and so it was always like um, decisions that would involve um, then uh, making something that wouldn't that we wouldn't uh, be how could, how can I put this we wouldn't feel uh, unfair mm -hmm. or or wouldn't be unfair to anyone because um, once you make a decision uh, of something that falls out of your policy you need to think of how does this spread out to other language markets that have similar or not so similar behaviors? Uh, what, mm -hmm. what are you going to do about it? Um, what are you, another thing that people don't consider sometimes is like, okay, you are complaining that your language market has a lot of um, this low quality uh, content and um, Google doesn't do anything about it. But if we remove that, what comes after? Is it better? Uh -huh. uh, so sometimes in many language markets, you'd have this kind of low quality stuff that would kind of, despite being kind of arguably low quality or spammy, it's the best that the market has. Because yeah. the, the amount of content in the market is, is, is low and um, there are not many people putting content outside um, or publishing content. And you have to live with that for, for a while until better things come so you can start tackling the bad things. So that's the, like a lot of- Super interesting. Yeah, the, these decisions that you have to make where it's not just you go with the hammer and you start hammering everything uh -huh. that looks bad because you will have to deal with other things after a while. You have to think of the whole cycle. Um, so. Yeah, yeah that, that was in a nutshell that was mostly it and then uh, as an so i became an analyst for you, you are uh, an analyst is someone that already like goes into more investigative um side of things so um rather than kind of being a more like a um, repetitive task uh -huh. uh, 
maker. Um, uh-huh. So you'd have like to go into this kind of side quests to kind of, you know, um, go into uh, investigate on link schemes and on to what's happening where and who is. So you are considering the reconsideration requests? Also, yes. Uh-huh. yes. And sometimes you have like two. <laughs> super interesting things like sometimes you have to kind of you know uh you, you know people from the circus consideration requests already by the way that they write <laughs> by the way that they complain about something so it is you know already like oh the the style of writing i've uh-huh. you've seen it like 20 times of the same person and you already oh. know who the person is like oh, who, oh. Who, who the guy is because you've been following him like on his websites through all, all the web so it's like um <laughs> funny well yeah uh, it's interesting yeah 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 okay i'm talking about this because this was supposed to be my question like how uh, is google like more intelligent uh, in in english speaking kind of results but it looks like what you're saying there's simply fewer results because like my native english my native uh, language is polish and uh, i can see very easily that when i look for something in polish like on the second or third pa- page very often there is like rubbish totally and in english like all 100 results seem to be like fairly okay so, so th- th- that was uh, that was like supposed to be my question. Like, do you think like the algorithm is like more? It probably is well trained. Like, so yes. W- one one thing that you need to consider when you have low quality results or you have spam is how much of that is exposed to eyeballs. Um, uh-huh. And if you think like about English, almost almost every country has a search in English in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so n- not only the amount of searches in English are higher, the content in English is also yeah. higher than in other countries. So all of this kind of amasses to the importance and makes up the, the importance of the language market, the English language market. And then you have markets like Portuguese as well, and, and Polish and and. and uh, other other language markets that where the 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 amount of content is much less uh, and you have also like a bit less queries a bit less yeah. so and you it's less exposed to eyeballs and then there's the fact that people that are working on quality improvements at google they start working mostly in english first because you know they 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 they, they they, they they do experiments um although they they although they have the ability to do experiments in, in at a global level because they can push experiments to users at uh, anywhere in the world uh and to pools of users in specific countries if they if if they want but um when you start to to work on a on a quality thing you start to assess how does this affect the language English language market, and that's why you first end up fine tuning it. It's on the English language market, mm-hmm. and and then you work with um, people like me that at at the time, um, where the analyst that is responsible for the language market is able like to um, talk with engineers and and see how, what they are tackling and what they will kind of show you samples of what 
they are tackling and things that could fall out of the, the scope out of what they are tackling or things that fall inside of the scope of what they are tackling. Um, so, and then you help them in the aspect of, you know, yes, this is like, uh, you are missing this or you are, um, or you are, you know, being over, you are going over and hitting things that you shouldn't. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, there's this kind of, you know, help that goes from the expertise from the language market experts um, and um, helping engineers kind of, you know, tackle the needed things that um, are singular to these language markets. Mm -hmm. um, well, yeah, that's mostly it. Uh, and um, no, there's not nothing more. That's, that's just that. That's it. Okay, cool. So quality team, Google search quality team. So quality means uh, the absence of spam. Like, can you, can you walk me through, through your eyes? Like, not only, I mean, quality, <laughs> qual quality is, is, is I used to say quality is in the high of the beholder, the people mm -hmm. that, so for me and you quality are two different things probably because we have different uh, experiences of life, mm -hmm. different things that we experience through life. Um, and, um, while for me, kind of, for example, being a, in, 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 in some city in Poland would be like a wow factor and because I've never been there, uh, for you, you've been there, like you've, that you lived there all your life. It could, maybe it's just like, it's your day to day life and mm -hmm. you don't feel like, like, you know, yeah. uh, so in this aspect, we have two different criteria totally. of quality. So and quality is needs to be assessed at, at scale by user behavior uh, so google doesn't dictate anything regarding mm -hmm. quality what google says is let me use let me look at the behavior of my users how they interact with these results that i'm gonna sh show them and more importantly when i s switch the this set of results for this do, does the behavior change for the better or for the worse and then assess quality based on that. So Google assesses quality that is given from the users that are doing the queries. And, and, and that's why they are always pushing quality improvements because quality never, quality is not a, a linear thing. It's uh -huh. not, quality degrades over time. So if you have always the same thing as the same quality, after a while it's not quality anymore because you are used to that. It's not, I don't yeah. know if you are aware with that uh, Peter Morville's honeycomb that has like the usability, findability. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I think you know. so, yeah. So all of those are aspects that compose quality. And when all of those um, criteria um, kind of uh, surpass your expectations or exceed your expectations, you could say that you have quality because... Um, it's something that surprises me in a good sense. It's something that is innovative. It's something that I've was never seen before and that kind of made some change to my life that fulfilled the need that I have. But after I've, that need has fulfilled and I found a way that fulfilled yeah. my need constantly, that stops being quality. Because as human beings, we know that we we didn't have... For example, we would have to fight lions and yeah. cook food in, in, in the forest yeah. um, in, in the past. Uh, and 
albeit nowadays we live in houses with heating, sometimes we are not happy with it anymore. Because yeah. it, it's not, we, we, our expectations are never fulfilled yeah. to, the, to, to the sense that we are happy with what we have. We always want a little bit more. We always want to improve a little bit more. Um, and this is the same that goes on what you see in content on, on the web and in search and, and what people search for. So people always search for, for something more. And if the same set of results that we Google showed, like in, I don't know, 2006, would be yeah. the same nowadays, it wouldn't <laughs> be quality because it just it's just the same thing. Yeah, so people, people sometimes say, oh, my site ranked like first result for five years. I never did anything and suddenly kind of dropped. Yeah. What happened? Well, <laughs> well people happened. You know, expectations <laughs> happened. So and, yeah. and you and you didn't go along with the expectations. You do, you don't you don't talk to your users. You don't ask your users what they are missing on your website. You don't um, get feedback from whom matters. You follow Google. You don't follow your users. So that's why I'm always like, and it seems like a bit of a cliche sometimes. And people say, yeah, 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 but nobody does it. That's the that's the thing. Um, nobody goes to their um, users and asks, oh. Um, what did you find out? What did you find off my website? What did you um, miss? Is there something that I could kind of, you know, uh, have there that I didn't have there when when you when you were when you found my business and you contacted me? Um, so, if you if we are always doing, if we are always going after Google, then we are missing one step. We are we are we are going it's like the dog after the tail in like um, yeah. We should we should kind of take the middleman, which is Google, and go directly to our users and have the confidence to do on our websites changes that are needed to meet their expectations and meet what our users tell us that they they need, and what they thought it was wrong. Obviously, with the mind of an SEO, it's not just going blindly and doing everything like upside down. Oh, my user said they miss a lot of images, so I'm going to make my own website of images. Yeah, yeah, good luck at that. You know. Um, so you have to have like, okay, my, my users said that they miss images more of my website because it's all text. So I'm not, I'm going to, as I know how Google works, I know what needs to be done in, in terms of having images on a website. How can I, in a sensible way, you know. Yeah, in a Google? sensible way. Yeah, yes, totally. exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's the thing that's, that I think sometimes SEOs tend to, follow a little bit too much um, cheat sheets and, and, and uh, you know, kind of, you know, those ready kind of... Overdo uh, something. Uh, yeah, audit kind of <laughs> bullet points that what they... And they end up... I, I just had a client that uh -huh. came to me a few days ago and said, oh, I had this experience with this big company, and we all know the guy if I tell the name, but I'm not, um, mm -hmm. that they kind of through me an audit of like, I don't know how many pages with things that I could do and things that I couldn't. Well, if you can't, why the hell are you putting out things that you're for your client that he cannot do? Well, I mean, you know, the platform that the client is, is on, you know, that they're on a, on an e-commerce platform that, you know, it's closed and they don't have access to code. So why are you telling them they did remove JavaScript, for example? Mm -hmm. uh, if they can are not going to be able yeah. to do that y you can you can do a note about that but you can say yes uh, you know i know that your platform is closed and you, you're not going to be able to do it so unless you 
consider moving, this is something, this is a mute point. Or you can have a conversation with the platform and say, put, 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 your, put your client in the middle and have a conversation with the platform and say what they can improve for all their clients. But, you know, throwing everything at the client, things that they can do and things that they can't doesn't help. Yeah. And the client ends up feeling overwhelmed of, and this is a reflex of you are doing these things and you are not understanding very much why you are advising these things. More, more, even worse, you are not understanding to whom you are delivering your recommendations because you don't understand the limitations of your client. Yeah, so yeah. I think I think it's it's and 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 making making a website turning a, web, a, a bad website into a good one under it, you know goes through understanding the limitations of the website itself. What are totally. the limitations? And and saying to the client, listen, this is where we are. This is the, the best that we can achieve given the things that we have. If you want more, we could do this or that, but we would have to change from where we are. And just not throw everything at the client because they are going to feel overwhelmed and not even know where to start. Yeah, so, and won't implement any anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. The two brilliant points, really. Like, I love how you how you approach quality. That that this is not that Google is dictating that, but users. And it's not, and people sometimes treat quality as something technical. Well, sometimes it is when, when Google can't crawl something or you put out too much trash for Google to crawl and Google can't make out like the, you know, has a bad time getting to the good content and because it's always crawling the bad one. Um, but it's not always like it's something that you have to go to the business, to the product and, and have a conversation of what does the business want to be? of what do okay. they or what do they want to achieve how much are they willing to invest on their own website to change it to what it needs to be and it's not just like a spreadsheet full of bullet points that of that you need to audit and show to the client that doesn't make like oh people automatically think like oh i only have 500 words on my page i need 1500 to be quality no <laughs> you are you are again approaching the, the quality from a quantitative yeah. point of view it's not it's a qualitative point of view it's quality because it's qualitative it's not quantitative yeah, exactly. people keep, keep treating quality as a quantitative point and it's we are not going to change as, as long as that happens SEOs are always going to be seen as you know oh the guys that try to kind of um, play Google because you know, all we focus we can't understand quality we only understand quantity yeah 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 totally totally and now a uh, question about web, web accessibility, like mm -hmm. uh, from a lay, from a standpoint uh, of a person who doesn't know much about it, where do I get started? I know there is web accessibility audit in uh, Lighthouse, but mm -hmm. like, how do I get started? How do I know even if I'm meeting those uh, web accessibility um, requirements? So web accessibility has been along for forever. Uh, there have always been uh, standards on web accessibility. You can get those on W3C. There's mm -hmm. a lot of them there. Um, and a lot of things that we do in SEO stemmed from web accessibility requirements. For example, um, alt text on images. Uh, mm -hmm. go, um, um, search uh, the... the Search, 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 you know, search the, the headings, the, you know, H1, H2, etc. Et those come from web accessibility requirements. 
Um, and the thing about web accessibility is like there's a lot of it. And accessibility, it's important to to talk about web accessibility and not accessibility because accessibility goes offline and it goes into ramps for people to cross the road, for example. Uh -huh. um, okay. But, yeah. you know, you have a web accessibility, which is like accessibility applied to the web. So making things on the web easier for people with disabilities. Uh, and disability can be temporary, can be permanent. People can lose um, sight on a, for, on a temporary basis or motion, you know, on a temporary mm -hmm. basis. And I need to be able, for example, to navigate the website with, with the keyboard and not just with the mouse, for example. Um, not everyone uses a mouse to, to, to navigate. Not everyone yeah. uses a touch assistive uh, touch device to kind of to navigate. Um, so we need to understand how people go about, uh, is your website able to be navigated um, if people can't have a mouse? So if your website has infinite mm. scroll, and I don't have a mouse, does it scroll? Oh, for example, yeah. that's a good uh, question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> for example, Google doesn't scroll. So people uh -huh. that inject things on, on the pages based on scroll, they're invisible to invisible to Google. And that's a, something that I see over and over coming in audits that sometimes people miss. They take a screenshot yeah. of a of a page and they scroll to take the screenshot. You know, you know, we scroll in our mm. browsers to take a screenshot. And we take and we say, oh, yes, everything is visible. But then if you configure your Chrome to have a really tall viewport and you um, the correct user agent and you load the page there and you don't do anything, don't touch anything, just let the page load, you'll see that a lot of things don't load that are mm -hmm. injected on the page based on scroll. And so it's two different scenarios. You know, it's, it's, it's you are, when you are not understand, when you don't understand how Google kind of, and people, with disabilities kind of navigate, um, you miss these things because it's just not natural to you to, to look at yeah. these things. So I usually tell people, go read a book about information architecture, go read a book about web accessibility. There are so uh -huh. many of them. And then apply, you know, don't, don't start, don't get your mind started from the SEO point of view. Have your mind start from the web accessibility point of view and information architecture and apply SEO to it. Mm -hmm. And that's where, uh, for me, that, that's the correct way of, of approaching it. And, and kind of, and that's why you start, that's where um, understand um, quality and, 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 and what, what, what things would make sense on a page and what things don't. And it, it, it's, it's a bit, impossible to, to to kind of put into words but yeah it, it's something that you have to build up as an your own intuition and your own general knowledge because if you as long as your seo work is like share looking out for the best tool and looking out for the best plugin and uh, the best spreadsheet and um with, the best checklist. Uh, the best checklist and information. You know, in, I'm not. I'm just going to do everything with in, artificial intelligence now. You, you are missing the point. You are missing. You are leaving a lot of stuff on the table that you that you shouldn't because you're just. Uh, you're you're first on, tools is like you're letting people decide for you what's important on a page. Yeah, totally. Because tools tools will tell you some things that are silly and they will miss other things that are important. So it it it's up to the ability of 
who coded the tool, who, what the what the tool looks for, and what kind of you know, it should it yeah it's helpful, but you know, your brain is more important than the tool. Totally, yeah, yeah, <laughs> couldn't agree more, yeah. And um, can you also rant a little bit about like <laughs> user experience and SEO because like the way you look at those things is is like is is, is a bit different, and I think will make yeah. people understand those way better. I rant because I'm a, I'm a bit passionate about this topic. Yeah, I can and, see that. Um, <laughs> and I see sometimes people approaching it from such a simplistic way and putting out advice without, you know, okay, sometimes it's, it's hard to put out advice in a more elaborate way because, you know, social media is, is, is quick and it mm -hmm. doesn't give you much space to kind of uh, elaborate on all the, you know, points that you should, would like. But, you know, it doesn't hurt to put like a disclaimer, you know, like, you know, there are more to it, please. And and make people curious about the topic. So they go research mm -hmm. more. Don't what I what I what bugs me about sometimes SEO advice is that people put out advice and they put it as the only advice yeah. and as them being the source of this advice. And they don't entice others to go and search for more and complement other things to what they are advising. Uh, and a classic like the, example the has been the uh, yeah uh, the classic example that goes in a nice segue in, into in the information architecture and user experience is the arguments about directors versus subdomains uh -huh. that has uh, you know that as well as me this has always been around like forever and it will be forever as long as we don't understand what we are dealing with if you don't understand why you should use a subdomain instead of a director then you have a problem you should go study. Uh, and go study information architecture, for example, and then mm -hmm. you'll understand, and then you won't have that argument anymore. Um, so, the thing about you know, user experience, as you said, user experience is a very broad topic. Mm -hmm. User experience goes again offline and online. It's like yeah. how I experience an interaction with your brand, with you, what you sell, your products, and when we apply to this. To web, to the web, and to mostly SEO, it's what matters on user experience is first of all, um, for example, I can say uh, web accessibility, information architecture, usability are all within user experience. All this mm -hmm. user experience is the umbrella for mm -hmm. all these disciplines, and if you talk about user experience, it's very broad. So I'm going to branch it into these three areas, which is information yeah, architecture, sure. web accessibility, and usability. So we already touched, talked a little bit about web accessibility. So let's talk about information archite mm -hmm. architecture. Information architecture is no more than how people organize things, how you perceive the logic of what comes before and what comes after. So you know that the drawer goes into the cupboard and mm -hmm. you put things in the drawer not the other way around. So, and when you are building a website, which is a hierarchical tree, you need to understand what comes before and what comes after. Uh, so what comes once before is like kitchen, and then comes the forks and, you know. Um, yeah. But then like, you need to apply this to the, the, depending on the, on the area that we are talking about. So if it's like a, a more, tangible area like 
e-commerce stuff. Um, you organize things in one way. But then if you, for example, take a, a blog that reviews kitchen stuff, maybe they organize things differ differently from the e-commerce. It's not organized the same way because one is the product and the other is information about the product. So you don't necessarily, you know, compartmentalize the information the same mm -hmm. way in both aspects. So first of all, you need to understand on the universe that you are working with, what's, what are the logical and common ways that how people organize things? And what's the logical way of organizing this, this thing? Um, that's why we, we buy uh, fashion differently than we buy a kitchen appliances. You know, um, you need, uh, while in fashion, you probably need, you know, bigger images and uh, to see the style and see the materials and close up pictures and, and kitchen appliances, maybe you need a more detailed description about the product and the voltage and whatever is there that you don't need on the, on the other one. So you need to understand which universe are you working with and how extensive is it? So for example, if I only sell kitchen stuff, my universe is much more restricted and I go, can go more in depth into what I sell than if I, my store sells everything. Yeah. Uh, for example, e eBay sells everything. They don't just sell like kitchen, they sell cars, they sell, I've seen kind of, you know, houses for sale. Uh -huh. um, so in that aspect, you cannot apply the same principles and the same rigid approach to organizing a website than if you would apply if you were organizing a small a smaller website. So within a small website, you can go deeper, you can be more um, nuanced in the, the th how, you, how you split things, how you are you going to turn this into a, a category? Are you going to turn it into a subcategory? Um, so whereas if it's more broad, you run the risk of overdoing it and mm -hmm. you don't yeah. want the website to be too capillarized or, you know, you don't want to, to do it too much or too little. Uh, yeah. This is the thing like you have, and this is the, the unfortunate part of this is that it, there is no way to know that you are doing it well, unless you have experience and, you know, go through many um, and read about it and talk with people and discuss about it. Because, I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years about the information mm. architecture, and I still sometimes miss things. Because um, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know well in depth of a certain vertical or don't know well in depth of a, a certain target audience or the pr the product that my client sells is too technical or is this so not, not not so much technical so all of this that dictates how a website should be built and the thing is like information architecture should be planned in a way that it shouldn't change uh like we mm. don't want to be doing migrations so that's another you know <laughs> we don't you don't that's another thing that kind of ties yeah, in with probably. seo so when you do a well-planned architecture that is stems from looking at a um you know a, a hierarchical tree or for for example i can give you i think it's better if i give a more mm -hmm. concrete example um when i work with clients that we have a new project to launch or we have a website to launch mm -hmm. and so i try to understand what is the universe that they're going to live in 
right? And because it's very difficult sometimes to understand, we need to consider parallel universes that they are going to live in. <laughs> so are you going to live in this Star Wars universe or in this Star Trek universe? You know, like, because they are both have spaceships. Um, and you need to understand what are the nuances to each of them. So sometimes I, I go to the extent of doing, so, okay, you know what, I'm going to do two examples of a hierarchical tree of a website, and then we are going to see which one fits best. And then I'm going to let it marinate for a while. I'm, I'm, I've built these two, I'll let it on the side, and I'm going to build a third one. Maybe I'm going to build, I don't know, some other spaceship kind of universe that's, that I didn't think of. And I'm going to then get it all together and see which, after, after like a week or two and see which one looks best. Uh, is this one that looks more future-proof or this one looks more future-proof? Because what we don't, you want to spend, you, you want to be spending time on planning the, your information architecture so later you don't have to change because you didn't think about something that you yeah. should have. So what happens when we have to do migrations and we have to change radically our websites is because we didn't do the work that we should have done some time ago. At the start, yeah. At the start, planning the you know, information architecture and the hierarchical tree of our websites. And we didn't prepare it to be kind of future-proof because once we do it, when a new thing comes along, you know, it, it, it has a place to be f that it belongs in, in your mm -hmm. website. You don't need to change anything or is there's, there's going to be very little thing that you need to change unless, of course, you, you change your area of operation or your business. Then, uh -huh. of course, that's... But as long as you remain too, um, faithful to it, it's going to be logical to evolve from there. So, and that's how it, how, how I, that's how I do the parallel between information architecture and SEO. Yeah, that's cool. So, and that's where you decide when you should use a directory or a subdomain, uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I've already solved problems by switching directors to subdomains and vice versa. Yeah, you just need totally. to, to understand which problem you're solving. And yeah, and then you have the usability kind of area as well. It's just like, you know, things like logical things as like have a navigation always present that's always relevant to the user. We always mm -hmm. do, you know, SEOs kind of have a thing with breadcrumbs. Yeah, breadcrumbs are, are great, but they should kind of be relevant to the context they are in. Just don't, don't, don't start spreading breadcrumbs all around just because uh -huh. you need to have internal linking. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of you know. You this we could go forever. Yeah. And this 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 has each of these little topics has mm -hmm. ways to branch out that would take forever. But just this is just to give a sense of if you treat all of these areas as they should, as as they were designed to be understood, and then you apply your SEO knowledge to them, and not the other way around. Don't don't just like go on a you know, rampage of throwing SEO at everything and then thinking about, oh, yeah, let's throw like information architecture into uh -huh. SEO and no, do the other way around. Think of other how other and how other products and other areas work and how SEO can benefit their work. And that's yeah. a thing that I do within product every day. I work with um, people that are experts in information architecture and usability and and I listen to their meetings and I listen to their, see their products and I look at their problems and I apply SEO to it as well. I think, uh, well, we are considering this, but search engines are going to have a bad time here. 
So how do uh-huh. we solve this? Um, you know, and don't let don't you don't some, more often than not you don't need to modify a lot of things um, to fit and to improve um, work that other people are already doing. Yeah, totally. And the question I just have to ask is like, what's your view of the future of SEO, AI, like how it's going to change? I'm not asking if it's dead, but like, how do you see it evolve? (laughs) Well, uh, I don't know. I think as long as, as long as I will say, as long as as your SEO is and it depends. uh, Uh Yeah. Answer. I don't see AI replacing it anytime soon because um, I mean, it's a great tool. I use it, for example, to start me on. A, sometimes I've, I want to help me with an SQL query that I kind of mm-hmm. have, and I'm missing something. And or the other day, kind of, uh, I was copied. I copied an SQL query from Slack, and Slack turns the, you know, the, 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 the quotes. Yeah, into yeah, cur- into curly diff- quotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah from and straight quotes work. into curly quotes and then SQL doesn't like curly quotes and it says that's, that there's an error and you look at it and it says looks fine to me and oh. and then I put it into ChatGPT and ChatGPT says because you have curly quotes oh thank you very much um, so yes yeah. um, I use it for for example help me with um, uh, R Studio to build like uh, queries to query search console um, but I don't see it doing the thought process for me I know yeah. which uh, which uh, data I want to pull, I know what charts I want to make. The AI doesn't know. AI sometimes misses <laughs> the point. AI sometimes uses the wrong R Studio library uh, when it uses Analytics library instead of Search Console library. It, it already did that a couple, couple mm-hmm. of times. So you need to understand that you know it use it as an augment, uh, you know, a, yes. a way to augment your powers not a way to replace them. And I don't oh, think right. it's, yeah, it, it's gonna, it's gonna facilitate, but you need to know where you are going, you need to know what you're aiming for. Because it's, uh, if you let it aim, if you let it go wild, <laughs> it's just gonna go, you know, yeah, it's not going to end well. It's not. <laughs> Definitely. So one of the final questions, what does your normal SEO day look like? Well, my normal SEO day looks like um, well, I, I'm trying to be on less on Twitter than I was. I'm uh-huh. trying to distance myself a bit because I see a lot of people arguing on Twitter and, you know, putting out advice that I don't necessarily agree with. And I, see, I, I just stopped, like, interacting at all. And so I sometimes I just go to Twitter at the end of the day or two days after to see what, what's happened. Uh-huh. Um, unless I know that, you know, something is brewing or something is going then I want to see what's happening but usually my day is like so I working for a company like eBay is, means that most of the things that come start to come at the end of my day here so like four o'clock in the afternoon is when people start to wake up there oh yeah then, yeah same here yeah <laughs> so it's when my slack starts buzzing around it's when like four o'clock in the afternoon but I have also colleagues that are here in the UK and in Berlin so we kind of uh, talk among ourselves um, and we discuss stuff that we need to, to achieve and um, you know data that we need to pull from databases and so that's kind of that uh, looking at how the sites have been performing uh, overall if there's a problem if what what has been rolled uh, because we have like things that we should kind of 
look at on a daily basis. So that that's what I do, and then I also kind of uh, do look at after my own clients from uh, Mercado Livre from Brazil. I also look at what's going on with them, uh, what have they done while I was sleeping, <laughs> and uh, so and and mostly. And mostly like understanding what's going on within the industry. Uh, of course, I uh, just because I'm not on Twitter doesn't mean I don't follow what's going on. But I like also like once in a while to explore what's what's new in the these areas that I just spoke about, like information architecture, information architecture. And so I search for new books in this area, and I I try to kind of see if it's an interesting book to get and and to read and. And I go along and I do it. Um, I participate in like uh, I participate is a vote no first statement because I mostly lurk now in in forums that I was a member of, like Google Help Forum, uh-huh. uh, to see what's you know going there, and um, you know the Chrome performance forums as well, and uh, to see what's going in there. And I, I try to kind of see what people are discussing about, what topics we are talking about, and you know go along with the what's happening with ai <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yeah that's that's what my day looks like mostly in, uh in a nutshell uh, i try to kind of do some biking and running as well in the mornings usually when i have do time you work because... over weekends i don't you don't uh, well i as a policy i sh- i don't i don't work at weekends i do if a client of mine needs uh-huh. so if i have a client that we are pushing some project we are in the beginning things are kind of rough they need kind of you know to get things straight they need to iron out things with their suppliers if there's something that i can do that's gonna make them feel better and if that goes on if i if i will have to do it over a saturday or a sunday i will i will do it uh, otherwise i, I don't mm-hmm. okay Cool. Okay, so where can people find you, follow you? Like, what's the best place? You, you said you are not that much on Twitter. Well, but yeah, that that's still the best <laughs> place to get are, me. Yeah. Well, I'm at Pedro Diaz on Twitter. Is here on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, uh, you know, my my company is also there. Kind of uh, visibly dot com. Mm-hmm. V-I-S- yeah, I will <laughs> link it. Uh, so uh, visibly dot com. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Um, I've been kind of trying to get back to doing some blogging or blogging now, but some podcasting uh-huh. uh, where I kind of, you know, I, I I had this podcast was called Three Things in Search, where oh. I would kind of talk about the three most important things in search that happened. Uh, and meanwhile, things happen and things in my life changed so i i had to kind of put a pause on a podcast and then i didn't go, go back to it but i've been planning to kind of go back to it because i have a lot of things here that i should kind of use and i'm not using um oh. <laughs> and, so i can't uh, wait yeah uh, well yeah i should start to at least like putting my rants out more yeah more, it's more, enough you just, like just a, rant a five and people rant, will love it yeah a five minute rant per day uh, yeah, totally. Not more than that, and uh, so I've been trying to put a start to that uh, as well. Um, 
is it's called Sir Tremblings, and I don't know if I'm gonna get that along. Uh, I get that back. Uh, uh-huh. I think I think I can. I can. I'm gonna use that again to to put it uh-huh. to, to to start my 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 new thing, my new gig. Um, but otherwise, LinkedIn as well. Like so, I'm I'm split between like what the two social networks that I look at the most are Twitter and LinkedIn, despite not being there actively every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I don't answer you right away, don't don't I usually answer. I usually reply to people that are nice that don't 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 come like full of themselves or anything like that. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> selling you links. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, mostly. Uh, and if you need anything, like you can get to me through my company page. It's all my contacts are there. So okay, yeah, that, cool. that's mostly it. Okay, cool. So Pedro, thank you, thank you so much. It was an honor to have you. This was like so so many knowledge bombs. So I'm I'm super excited that I had you on my show. Well, thanks a lot, Olga. It's nice to see that people are doing this kind of podcasting and putting their knowledge out. It's always nice to to speak with new people in the industry. Um, and you know, thanks for having me on your podcast. Best of yeah, luck. Yeah, totally. And um, you're 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 making success. I'm trying. So, yeah, <laughs> continue <laughs> on your path. Yeah, I'll be trying. So thank you and thanks everyone. Bye bye. Bye bye.